Well, welcome once again to Valley Lights Church. I'm glad to see you're all here today. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights. And oh, nice. we, uh, another like a fun quick update is that we did a, an outreach event last night. So many of you were a part of that. It was called Family Sports Night. And what we did was uh, we went to Central Park, we rented the fields and, and put out a whole bunch of invitations for the community for people to come and be a part. It's really that we are advertising parents come, um, play with your kids, actually play against your kids <laughs> for scores and competitions, all kinds. I think we had, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen different sports represented. And it was great. It was really exciting to be able to team together with many of you for this event. Um, those of you that were volunteering, um, what I loved was to see how much faith you all had as we were praying that it, we wouldn't get rained out. Actually, most of the time I feel like I do pray for the rain, except for when we're doing an event at, you know, it was actually all day I kept threatening to do thunderstorms right at six o'clock, which is when the thing started. And so I actually think because of that, that maybe, maybe that scared some people away. Also, the Dodgers played last night, so that maybe had an impact on attendance somewhat. But um, through many prayers and God providing for us, many people came. We had a lot of guests and families that had an amazing experience. Those that volunteered created a very welcoming environment for people. I got a chance to get some feedback from some of the guests who really had a great experience there. So also you did a great job inviting other people. Um, whether you invited neighbors to come participate or you invited coworkers to come volunteer with us, it was really exciting on the volunteer side and the guest side, a really exciting way to connect with a lot of people that we don't normally get the chance to connect with. So you did a great job with that. And so now we're praying that some of the guests that we met um, come to church and uh, ultimately that they come to Christ, come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And um, if you're here and you're from that event, it's our hope that you consider taking a next step with Jesus and consider uh, taking another step in your spiritual journey. Um, and for you as a volunteer, uh, for those that volunteer, really, it really was a way for you to stretch yourself, for you to serve our community that we live in, and a way for you to grow your heart towards our mission. And so I'm really grateful. I'm really excited that God provided this time and that we were able to put on such an excellent event in that way. So I'm going to jump into today's message. When I was growing up in upstate New York, it's called CNY, Central New York. <laughs> when I was growing up, there was, there was a pond about a mile from my house, and I had to go through the woods, kind of through the marshy area to get there, and I loved catching tadpoles and frogs and just spending time outdoors by myself. And I don't think I even ever told my parents where I was going or when I was going to come back. That was, that was uh, you know, just in a safe part of you know, upstate New York. And I was like, I can't dream of letting my kids just wander out of the house right now. Uh, and I don't know if it's because it's, uh, is it just me? Is it, was it the difference between the city that I live in then or now? Is there a difference in the world right now? I mean, I think there are some things that have changed in our country over the past few decades. And I'm, I'm 36, so it's been a while since I was a kid catching tadpoles. And I, th I think some things have changed. I think that, I think the United States of America used to be a safe, supportive environment for the Christian faith and for Christian values. I mean, it's been called, you know, it's been called a Christian nation, the U.S. I'm not sure if that was ever totally accurate to begin with, but as time goes on, it seems that we're getting farther and farther away from that being accurate. 
And regardless of where you live in our country now or where you have lived, um, it does seem that there is a big moral upheaval underway. There's a prominent author and theologian who released a book recently called The Gathering Storm. And he described it as if there's a big cultural hurricane on the horizon headed right for us. Morally speaking, that you know, people in our, in our society nowadays are having a hard time knowing which way is up, what is right, what's wrong. It feels like the hurricane, this cultural hurricane, is barreling towards us, threatening to leave destruction in his wake. And so in, the, in his introduction, the author of that book, he, he cites a major report from the Pew Research Center. And uh, the, this, they did a report that says, in, it's, the title of the report is, In the U.S., Decline of Christianity Continues at a Rapid Pace. And the study shows how fewer and fewer people are identifying as Christian. And uh, especially among younger Americans. So actually, if, if you're 35 and younger, um, actually, it's about a whole third of that group who reports no affiliation of any religion, nothing. They, if they check the box for what religion they are, they just say none. And so Americans, I'd say, probably for a long time, many decades, had believed that we are an exceptional nation, and secularization is just really a, a European reality, you know, further on the other side of the planet. But it turns out that America is on probably the same trajectory. Some of the huge threats that I think are contained in this storm coming at us, things that we'll be facing are enormous confusion about sexuality and identity. Something in the storm is redefinitions of marriage and family. Also, there's threats to religious liberty and some very deadly attacks on the sacredness and dignity of human life. So those are, those are some of the things in this, in this gathering storm that's headed for us. And whether this storm hits us in full force, a, a question comes up, will you be able to weather the storm? If things get more difficult, more hostile, will you stand strong in the middle of a cultural hurricane? Will you stand for what's right and true regardless of what's going on around us? Or how about your kids? If you're a parent, how about your kids? Will they know how to stand strong in the world that we will be living in in the coming years? Will, or will they be swept away? In light of this reality, this is a sober reality, we're actually starting a brand new message series today. It's a seven-part series walking through an Old Testament book of the Bible, um, Daniel. Maybe you've read, if you've had a Bible and you've read the Old Testament, maybe you've read the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a man who lived a life of devotion to God, even though he was captured and he lived in a very hostile, secular culture. So in a way, Daniel is kind of a model for us about how to stand strong in a cultural storm. And so when Daniel was a teenager, he, uh, he was kidnapped from his family. He was a part of a noble family line in Judah, and he was deported and exiled to Babylon. And so he was uh, among those. So you can see a picture here of um, this side of the map is where Israel was. Judah is part where he was from. And so they were all deported, traveled through this Middle Eastern region and all the way over to, it says Babylonia there, um, Babel, the city of Babylon. And so that was a pretty long journey. That was a few hundred miles. And here's another photo of just kind of illustrating um, cities on fire. People are getting forcibly and violently exiled, uh, really captured as slaves and 
um, as captives. And so Daniel was among this group. He was, actually, he was among many young men who were taken to a foreign land for a life of servitude. And actually, he was probably pretty young. When you think of like Old Testament prophets, you think of guys with like gray beards and stuff like that, which he probably did have at some point. But when this happened, and actually what we're going to read today, he was actually very young, probably a teenager, maybe a young teenager. And the attempt on Daniel and many of the people that were taken was to wash them of their beliefs and brainwash them into Babylonian customs and culture. So I don't know if that sounds familiar. So take young people and then wash their thinking with what is highlights in the culture. Imagine just the agenda that I think that we face in our, in our, you know, in our society and what's growing, the agenda to shape kids' minds, shape the minds of young people with education, kids' movies, marketing strategies. But this is what they, they want to do. They want to take these young, aspiring people and then just totally bring them into Babylonian culture, kind of erase their Israelite culture. And so the purpose, was, especially for Daniel, is that he would be able, once he was successfully integrated into this new society, he'd be able to mediate between Babylonians and many of the Jews that had been taken into captivity. And so he would spend the rest of his life in exile in Babylon all the way into his late 80s. And so he never made it home. He never got to go back to his homeland. So he just, he got stuck. He got stuck in exile. And the cultural force against Daniel and his friends was very powerful, very just intense, heavy. They were just immersed. But somehow, they didn't bend or break. Somehow, man, his faith is astonishing to see the way that he stood strong. How did... How do you do that? How, how is it that they were utterly submerged in a godless society, just totally swept away with no chance of escape, and yet lived long, faithful lives of devoted service to God? This is incredible. We got to know what he did. <laughs> we got to know how he lived. So here's another photo of the exile that took place. There's an illustration of, um, again, Jerusalem on fire, and that all, all people being deported. And so Daniel is considered a prophet. During his time, he was like God's mouthpiece. God spoke things and wanted people to know things, and he used Daniel. It was for, he was a mouthpiece for the people of God and also for the foreigners that he was living among. Daniel often used, or God often used Daniel to clarify present-day events and speak prophetically about things that would be happening in the future. In fact, nine of the 12 chapters of the book of Daniel are God's revelations through dreams and visions. And so the book we're going to read, Daniel wrote this book himself, and he found himself in some pretty crucial circumstances. There were, there were some key moments when he was very close to key leaders, often with his life hanging in the balance, you know, and, uh, but God took care of him. Daniel's name and actually, if there's any Daniels here, Daniel, the Daniel's name means God is my judge. And we'll read about moments when God vindicates and rescues him from deadly danger. And so uh, the, the crazy thing, before we jump in, I got to say this other thing. Daniel, so he's in captivity, he's in exile in a very secular society, but he didn't spend his life frustrated about it. He wasn't angry that the whole world around him was going crazy and everyone was so godless and like he, he was just stuck. He just, man, like, how could this be? God has abandoned us. He, he wasn't frustrated and angry. He wasn't mad at people. 
I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe you felt frustrated about what's going on in our country or feeling like, man, peop, people need to do something. Like, I feel powerless about what's going on here. Like, God should do something or somebody should do something. Daniel could have been in Babylon and lived an angry, bitter, resentful life, but he didn't. And back when he was a child with his family back in Judah, we don't know, we don't actually know about his childhood, but his parents probably instructed him very carefully in the ways of the Lord. Because what he had, what God formed in him as a child and as a young teen, put some strong things in him that allowed him, that prepared him to make the most of his years in exile. So Daniel wasn't wasting away his years reading the Babylonian newspapers, <laughs> stewing about what had been lost. We're going to see how he trusted God and how time and time again, God exalted Daniel because of his faith. Daniel at one point was appointed as a statesman and also became a confidant of, of the king, actually two kings of major world empires at the time. And so in Hebrews 11, uh, this is kind of like a big look back to the old prophets. Hebrews 11 is a, is a big, it's, a, it's like the hall of fame, but it's for people with great faith. And he's referenced, Daniel is one of the, one of the few people that's referenced in this hall of faith. And it says, um, the author of Hebrews writes, and he says, time is too short for me to tell about lists a bunch of people from the Old Testament. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, and shut the mouths of lions. That, that last part is especially a reference to Daniel, and we'll get to that story in a few weeks. So every Sunday, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read one chapter from the book of Daniel. So today we're going to read chapter one together. And next week will be chapter two, and we'll go on that way. And so I'd actually recommend, if you want to, I don't know what you're doing with your own personal quiet time or your Bible reading, but if you want to, for the next about a month, read with us. You can, in your daily devotion, spend time reading, break out sections to each chapter, maybe break it up into five chunks, which would make it actually pretty manageable. And you could read with us, and you can get your mind thinking about the chapter that we'll be talking about in the Sunday coming up. So, we're going to jump in. Here's the first chapter of Daniel. Verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in, his, in the treasury of his God. So, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, they come and they take over um, uh, this, this Jewish land. And so they take, so here's what they do. They take a king and they take the treasury. Those are pretty valuable. So basically they've, they've taken on all the important direction setting and the resources for this city. And there's a photo here of, this is actually a picture of the destruction of Israel. This is kind of like an image of, I guess, Babylonian sack. Actually, when Babylon did finally destroy Jerusalem, it took a long time of siege. Um, but what happened here, this was God's discipline. The king of Judah and the Jewish treasury are captured. And when I think about this, sometimes I think about how maybe over the years, many people have thought, America could never be captured. <laughs> Nobody could ever overthrow the greatest country in the world. I think there was a long time when people thought that about Jerusalem and about Israel. Like, this is God's country. This is God's people in his land. Like, if anybody even hinted, that it would get destroyed. That's ridiculous. Like, how could that ever happen? Now, nobody, God would never let that happen. 
Well, God's people and God's city did get burned down. It did happen. And so this is, and King Nebuchadnezzar was spearheading that. It says in verse 3, the king ordered Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility. So this is like kind of Daniel's background, nobility and royal family. So bring some young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perspective, and capable of serving the king's palace. They wanted some servants that were going to be top-notch in looks, in brains, in body, in everything. Just the cream of the crop. And so it says the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They wanted to give them the best stuff so that they would still maintain just the most excellent nature of servants. And so they were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. So they're here we got these, teen, these teenagers here to serve the king, trained for three years, and, you know, I thought, as I was studying this, I kind of thought, in some ways, this kind of sounds like modern college. <laughs> so if you think about it, you know, they, they had three years. Colleges are kind of more like four years, right? But, you know, all right, so they have all this really good food, you know, for kings, from the king's table at college. You know, they call it the freshman 15. Like, you get all that really good food. Uh, so they go through all these training, all these classes. You know, so you do in college, that's what Daniel did. Three years, and it was a very secular environment, as we've been saying. I was like, this sounds, this sounds a lot like college. <laughs> and so these guys, they were, they were young men trained to be attendants to the king. And I, I don't really know, you know, Daniel and his buddies, like, was this an honor that they got selected? Or was it a terror that they were put in this position? Or maybe a mix of those things? They were expected to learn all the Babylonian language, culture, and ways. And they were given the finest foods to produce just healthy, attractive attendance to the king. Verse 6, it says, Among them from the Judites were Daniel, and then he's got three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them these names. So he gave the name Belshazzar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. And you better believe I practiced that before today. <laughs> So those, all those names, they probably sound kind of the same to us, but imagine someone giving, like saying, no, your name's not your name anymore. I'm going to give you a Spanish or a Chinese or a Russian name. You, like if you would hear the name, you would know it was different. It was not, it's not from your language. And so we've got these four Jewish teens stripped of their past identity. You can't be Jewish anymore. You can't even have your, you can't even have your name. They're humiliated, put into servitude, and... And so they're feeling all of this pressure to change who they are, change the way they think, change their perspective on how they, their, their religious reference points, all, their whole way of life is trying to be stripped and, and remolded. In our culture, now, we and our children experience a lot of other different kinds of pressures that come upon us to change us. There's pressure on us to change how we view God, how we view right and wrong, what should and shouldn't be acceptable, what God cares about or doesn't care about. We're, there's pressure to change our understanding of truth, our views of gender and sexuality, the pressure to change your thinking. It comes at us from so many different places and at your kids from so many different sources as well. But here's the amazing thing, probably the most amazing thing about this chapter that we're looking at today. Here's, here's what happens. This, this, this depicts what Daniel does despite all the pressure. Verse 8 says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. It says he wouldn't defile himself with the king's food 
or with the wine that he drank. And what's significant is that Daniel made a very firm decision to not compromise on God's commands. And so there were, there were some things on the king's table and in his palace that these Jewish young men would, would have been forbidden from consuming. And so clean and unclean were, were major categories of Jewish dietary law given to Moses, passed on to God's people. And so the Jews were, were, it was required that they, from God, that they avoid certain kinds of foods, especially when it was food offered to idols, which was very customary in Babylon. And also the Jews drank fairly watered down wines to keep from getting drunk. And this wine probably would have been much stronger than what they had. And so followers of Christ today, all of us, we're not under the same obligations or dietary restrictions nowadays, but um, we can, so even though, so this was for him, this was a deal breaker issue for him based on the commands that he had gotten from God at that time. Well, we can certainly respect Daniel's commitment to honor God through all of that. So he determined to remain faithful, not defile himself. And so here's how he responded. Like, how do you get out of this? If God says you can't have this stuff, here's what he did. He asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. And God granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. So if you notice, Daniel, he didn't, he didn't just throw up his arms and say, like, I can't eat this junk. <laughs> like, get this away from me. Like, no, he, he made an appeal. He asked respectfully. He didn't demand. This wasn't, this wasn't a free speech democratic type of government. This was totalitarianism at its finest. If he were to demand what he could eat and what he couldn't eat, then that, that would have brought certain consequences, probably immediate execution. So amazingly, Daniel makes this request, this appeal. He asks permission. And amazingly, God was at work through that. God gave him favor with this authority. It's amazing how God moves people into position to accomplish his plans. God was softening the heart of this official to listen, to be open to Daniel's request. So there's, I, there's actually a, an illustration I found depicting of this. And uh, you can see these four young men at the table. And Daniel's there in the middle explaining and asking permission. And that's probably the chief eunuch. And they've got all that food and pig meat and wine and all that. And uh, I, I, the thing I like about this picture is the guys look kind of young. You know, they don't, they don't have beards or anything. This, this probably is more accurate to what they were just like 14 years old maybe, 15, 16 years old. Some of the guys, you know, some of his buddies have their arms crossed. We don't know what their attitude was. But uh, we do know that Daniel took this approach of asking permission. And so another, another passage in verse 11 says, So Daniel said, here, he actually makes this proposal. Now that he's got his attention, Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I'm just going to read this to you. It's not printed anywhere. He says, Okay, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating all the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. So he agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and, they were, and wine. They were given and gave them vegetables. Which, is, which allowed them, which honestly doesn't sound that exciting. <laughs> I mean, I do like vegetables, but 
um, what this did, it allowed them to still walk in obedience to God. And they weren't able, they didn't have to compromise. They're, they're in this secular society, did not have to compromise what God had said. This is amazing. And it's amazing that it was noticeable in 10 days. I mean, it almost seems miraculous that just changing up diet for 10 days, would it have such a visible, stark difference? God was clearly at work, working through Daniel's approach here. So Daniel stayed within God's boundaries to maintain his, and, and also maintain honor with his authorities. He was able to obey God and still maintain honor. Would you have the faith to be tested like that? I mean, this isn't like a reality show, like Shark Tank, where you go on, you make your proposition, and then if you lose, you just, maybe you're out some money, your startup money. No, this, this is a request, maybe at the risk of execution. And, and actually, there was very little value of human life in Babylonian culture. And we'll, we'll actually see later in this story, people, are, people were expendable, killed on a whim. Like, eh, hey, you're just... No, just like on an emotional whim, people could be executed like that. Babylonians had very little value for human life. And so this was, this was a pretty dangerous thing to do. It required major faith, and, God, and they saw God come through. I would imagine this experience probably deepened Daniel's faith. Like, wow, man, we, we did what we thought was right, and God really came through for us. Man, how trustworthy is God? This is amazing. Verse 17, it says, God gave these four young men, so not only did it help them, but God gave them additional. Here's what else. God gave them knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. So God actually blessed them with increased minds and understanding and ability, and actually a special ability to understand dreams. God gave that. Kind of, kind of the way that God wires and equips all of us with different skills and ability. He gave Daniel this special ability and insight into, into supernatural things, into dreams and visions, and, and Daniel was able to understand them. I mean, I've had, I've had some strange, freaky dreams, and I'm like, what did I watch? <laughs> what did I eat? And I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know what that was all about. But, you know, I also know people who, who've been warned in dreams, or God has spoken to people through dreams. So that's not, I, does not seem to be a gift that I have. <laughs> so don't ask me to interpret anything that you dreamed about. But after three years, God sustained and protected them all that time. Verse 18 says, At the end of the time the king had said to present to them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend to the king. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in the entire kingdom. That's amazing. Man, what blessing and favor and honor they had. The king found them ten times better. They, they stood above the rest of all the other guys that were presented to them. So God boosted them to a very high, prominent place. And as a as a parent, this could sort of inspire you, like thinking about, man, sometimes we have limited, we, we kind of have limited ideas about how God could use our kids' lives. Daniel's parents probably never could have suspected that their son would have influence over a major world kingdom. Two, actually. Actually, the, the, this last verse says, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And so these, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus, just major world leaders at this time, that are very heavily influenced by him. This is amazing. Daniel served under this king 
under Nebuchadnezzar another 65 years until Cyrus, who was a Persian king, came to conquer and rule in Babylon. So we've just read chapter one of Daniel. So there we go. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's a good story. It's a nice warm-up. And there's a few things we can take away from this. One of them is, here's one of the big takeaways for us now in our culture, is to determine in your heart to live pure. And don't budge. Make a firm decision. When that word, when it, when it, in verse 8, when it says Daniel determines, that word means it's kind of like to settle it in your heart, to firmly decide and put in place, and, and to say, I, no matter what happens, I will not budge about this. And actually, in, and it says Daniel determined that he would not defile himself. Defile, that means to become impure. Really, really to, it's a, he made a commitment to refuse to do anything that would cross God's boundaries. He's like, God's got a boundary here. I'm, I will not cross it. No matter what, I will not go against what God has said. And God has given all of us a conscience. And so sometimes, you know, you find out where the boundaries are because God's speaking to you through your conscience. You know, he has listed things out very clearly in his word. But those daily situations that we walk in, he also provides the Holy Spirit to remind us and show us this is one of those times that you might cross a line. And so when you cross a line, you feel it. You guys know what that feels like when you've crossed a line. Unless you and your conscience aren't on speaking terms anymore. And that could, that could be the case. And you just do things and you don't even think about it anymore. But how was it that Daniel, at such a young age, was so determined? I mean, if this is kind of like college, like teenagers going away to college, usually don't they indulge in every pleasure that's available or at least test things or see what it's like on the other side of the fence? Daniel was in a foreign land among strangers, away from his family, with delicious foods and wines, so many things just set on the table right before him. A lot of luxuries, really. It's a very rare thing that young people would form such a steady determination to resist ungodly temptations that are set right before their eyes and eat vegetables. <laughs> that, see, this, you know, I was like, is this story even true? Could this even be possible? But parents, don't you wish that your kids would live like that and have such restraint? and live with such principle, like, I want my kids to have that. Well, if you want your kids to have that, or if you have people in your life that you think, man, they should live with more restraint, well, it starts with us. <laughs> it starts with us ruthlessly determining to live according to God's clear commands. So we set the pattern. Wherever we cut corners, those that watch and follow us, they cut corners. Too. And actually more. My kids are going to cut corners more than I do because the cultural hurricane is blowing so hard. So whether you have kids or not, the best motivator for you to stay focused and determined the way Daniel was, was to live a life that pleases God. Your goal is to say, man, even at great cost or inconvenience or even danger, I will do what pleases God. I want him to see my life. I want him to, to smile on what I'm doing, how I'm responding to these people and, and the way I'm handling myself. This takes knowing what's off limits. Through the Bible, we could know. We find out what, what are the things that take you off course? What are the things that are out of bounds? And it, by getting a good grip on the Bible, that's how we can steer clear from the forbidden things that would defile us, make us impure. So Daniel and his friends, they feared God 
which means they really respected God and took him seriously, more than they feared the king and more than they feared the consequences that were coming. So for us to withstand the cultural storm that's brewing, the storm that's on the horizon for us and has even started to come, you and I are going to have to settle some ultimate faith issues. I think the season that we're living in right now, I think in some ways is going to be separating churchgoers from disciples of Jesus. Churchgoers aren't necessarily disciples of Jesus who line up very determinedly. So I'd encourage you to settle this issue once and for all. Don't, don't keep deciding if you're going to live determined and pure. Just decide with each, you know, with each new culture, cultural issue that comes up. Like, oh, what do we think about this? Should we accommodate that? What if you were to say, I trust you, God. And I trust that your words are truth. No matter what, man, I trust you, God. The Bible's true. The Bible is the way to understanding reality. So do you, do you believe that God's perspective, which is found in the Bible, is the way to understanding reality? Do you think the Bible is the best manual for understanding how life works? Many people want reality to be what they make it. They can kind of like design it and bend it. It doesn't really work that way. Actually, reality bites really hard when, when we just ignore God's reality. But if you settle this issue, you can determine to live with courage. So Daniel was very, very rigid when it came to God's law. But when it came to dealing with people, he was very considerate. What a contrast. Rigid in obedience, but very considerate. So another takeaway from this is when facing trouble, appeal, pray, and then wait on God. He had such strong convictions, but he was very gentle towards people. This seems very lost today, <laughs> or maybe in some circles. Some, it feels like sometimes you get one or the other. People that are just, you know, very, very rigid with what they believe and towards people and just prickly, or people that are just kind of moldable and bendable and don't really stand for anything. Daniel didn't want to be offensive. He didn't want to provoke opposition. He didn't want to provoke anybody or stir things up. He made a peaceful request with a gentle attitude rather than being pushy in his demands. It actually reminds me a lot of Proverbs 15.1. It says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Daniel successfully avoided wrath. In terms of waiting on God, if you are in difficulty, something to consider is that this intense testing that they were under, it was over that three-year period. They didn't really know how things were going to turn out in the end for them. Have you ever been tested for three years? Have you made your appeal and waited and asked God for three years or longer? If you're in a period of testing or trouble, know that God cares very much about your circumstances. First of all, God knows what you're walking through. He cares about it, and he's, he's always at work in our circumstances. We don't, we don't often see how it is that he's involved in those things until we look back at times. But you can, if you're, if you're walking through trouble, Start praying and appeal to those that are over you respectfully. So Daniel was unwavering in his purity. He was respectful to others. And, and it's amazing to see how God responded. God gave compassion to his supervisor. And then he also gave Daniel knowledge. Really, he gave real help and real resources. And then here's one more takeaway. 
is that take notes every time God comes through. You'll, you'll actually need it later. You will need to remember the times in your life when God came through for you. It's really easy to forget. God knows it. It's actually it's just part of being human. Sometimes we go through these amazing things that God walked us through, and then we just freak, the next time the same trouble comes up, we like freak out all over again. <laughs> like, oh, I don't have any money. Like, oh, didn't God provide for you before? Yeah. Write it down. Daniel wrote down this book for us. It's in obedience to God, but we get to benefit. But you can bet that Daniel and his friends, they pulled together and probably debriefed what happened. Like, guys, can you believe what happened? Like, we asked to stay within God's boundaries, and the option opened up. And we got protected, and we got promotion. So they, they must have debriefed it, praised God for that. Debriefing and taking note of these moments is so important, especially if you do have a bad memory. So figure out what, what works for you for capturing the times that God carries you through testing and pressure. This step will actually really help you prepare for future faith risks. It may be that God allows the pressure in your life to go even higher, for things to get even hotter. And you'll need to know in those moments the times that God has taken care of you before in order to get through the next faith challenge. That's actually kind of how this book of Daniel works. We're going to see actually it, the stakes get much higher really fast in this story. And they need, they need to know that God is dependable. So we can't control our circumstances, but we can be prepared. We can be prepared for the pressures that come. And I would say, I think some people spend their energy being frustrated rather than being prepared and building courage. Sometimes we can be submerged in the difficulty or the circumstances or the society and just be so frustrated and vent about it rather than preparing and building courage. The amount of time that people spend consuming news could be traded for far more purposeful and productive patterns that God can really work with. And man, Daniel was in captivity for over 70 years. That is such a long time. He didn't waste his time being frustrated and annoyed. He was really a tool for the Lord to use where God placed him. So here's a question. I'm going to kind of end with this question. What, maybe you might even jot down some answers to this. Here are some ways that I can prepare myself for engaging cultural pressure. What kind of things might you do? If the pressure in our culture does get hotter, things get more intense or more hostile, and the storm hits, what are some ways that you'll be prepared for that? You'll, you will need resources. If you will stand strong in a storm, you need resources. What, but what, what, will you, what will you need? <laughs> what, what will it take to stand strong? What will your family need to stand strong? Daniel and his friends, they became standout citizens in their environment. A very, very not ideal situation, but they were standouts. Even though they were submerged in a secular, godless, violent society, they held on to their convictions and still came out as valuable, respectable people in that society. That influenced kings, kingdoms. Perhaps God might use us to be standout citizens in our world. Perhaps God might use our kids if we train them and prepare them well to stand firm in the cultural storm. So I would encourage you, if, if you want to track along with this series, read Daniel chapter 2 this week. Like I said, it gets more intense. This was an issue of 
meat and vegetables and wine, it, gets, it goes far beyond that in chapter 2 and the next few chapters. Don't read ahead, though. Chapter 3 is not for two more weeks, so just chapter 2. This first test on Daniel's convictions, how, how strong he would stand, this first test was mild compared to what comes up. So we're going to continue this series called Captured, From Captured to Courageous. There's still much to learn in the book of Daniel, especially when it comes to standing strong. So I'm going to pray. Let, we'll ask God to speak to us and give, give us understanding as we commit to obeying him in advance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your guidance and your word. And um, it really is so encouraging to see the way that Daniel and these others, when they stood firm for what was right, you blessed them. You provided a way for them. I'm sure there was a lot about their experience and their situation that was difficult and painful. But I pray, Lord, that we would identify those areas where we are weak in our convictions or easily tempted to get impure. And I pray that we would, you, would, you would give us, Lord, the courage from your Holy Spirit to resolve to do what's right. And um, that we would stand strong no matter what cultural pressures come at us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.